2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. Jesus knows that his beloved sheep will come under attack from false teachers. So Jesus gives a warning and then teaches them a simple test that can be used to know who are good and who are bad. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Well, we've got just two more Sundays after today where we will be looking at the the teachings of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that you should have learned by now is that the standard of the, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, also we could also call it the Constitution of the Kingdom, is of a standard so high that none of us is able to, to actually live that out in our own strength. I've heard many people uh, who are not even Christians say how much they love the Sermon on the Mount and how thrilling and how challenging and how inspiring it is. Mahatma Gandhi uh, is one of those people that thought the Sermon on the Mount was fantastic. For myself, reading through the Sermon on the Mount, I quickly feel a sense of, of desperation because I quickly recognize that I do not have the ability to live as Jesus called me to live. Now, please understand something. What Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount is the standard of holiness, the standard of God. And in teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us how very incapable you and I are of living this way. We need the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see just how how short we fall of God's standard. And so the, the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount is that not only does it show us how we must live and what it is that we must do as Christians, but it shows us that we need to be utterly and completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I just wanna remind you that you can never be good enough, that no matter how hard you try, you can never live by this standard unless the Holy Spirit enables you. And this, in fact, was the, the great news that Jesus tells us about. We especially see it in the Gospel of John. Jesus promises the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will help us, who will comfort us. He is the one who is with us as we live this Christian life. Critical that you understand this, because this is what sets apart Christianity from other religions. God gives us a standard, but then he gives us his Holy Spirit who dwells within us, enabling us to live the Christian life. Now, today I want to talk to you about, about false prophets. 
Back in 1977, I remember this vividly, this man, his name is Jim Jones. Following uh, an investigative article in the New West Magazine in July of 1997, 1977, pardon me, Jim Jones fled San Francisco with his uh, almost 1,000 members of his People's Temple Church. He was being investigated for the way that he treated his people and for the ways that he misused church funds. And so what he did is he had all of his members liquidate their assets, they pooled the resources, and together they all moved down to a brand new settlement in Guyana in South America. And he called this little town Jonestown, naming it after himself. There it is there. You can see uh, Venezuela there to, to the left. That red dot was uh, the place where they established this new town, this new city called Jonestown. Then in 1978, media reports surfaced of human rights abuses in the People's Temple in Jonestown. So Leo Ryan, a U.S. congressman, got together a group of investigators and they went down to Jonestown to investigate it. While boarding the flight to return to America, some of the cult members uh, who wanted to leave the colony with the, uh, with the representative of the U.S. Congress, uh, they, along with Senator, uh, Congressman Ryan, were shot and killed on the spot at Jim Jones' instruction. Jim Jones obviously is a false prophet, a false teacher. Jim Jones, after Senator Congressman Ryan was shot and killed, he ordered that everybody drink a cyanide-laced Kool-Aid and together approximately 918 of his congregation died of poisoning. And of that 918, 304 of them were children. This, this is something that I remember uh, like it were yesterday. Uh, it's one of, those, one of those events in your life where you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard the news. Absolutely shocking. These people were following their prophet, their teacher, their preacher, Jim Jones. Now, this is extreme, um, and I can tell you that this doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough for us to understand that we need to pay attention to what the teachers and the preachers are saying to us. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus warned his disciples repeatedly to beware of false prophets. In fact, this is how this next text begins. In Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. These, these so-called preachers, teachers, these so-called men of God, or sometimes women of God, they, they seem to be one of us, but Jesus warns, in fact, they're not. They're ravenous wolves. They want to take advantage of you. They want sexual favors. They want financial favors. They want power. They want 
to manipulate you and control you for their own ends and purposes. It's a shocking, it's a shocking, shocking reality. But the fact is, is that this is the reality. The God of this world has influenced and has inspired evil people to take advantage of sheep who are not paying attention, sheep who do not know the truth, sheep who do not know the scriptures, sheep who are ignorant. So today what we wanna do is we wanna talk about this important, important subject, this subject of false teachers. Last week we talked about the wide road and the narrow road. The narrow road, Jesus says, is so narrow that only a few find it. Whereas the wide road that, re- that leads to destruction has a wide gate and there are many who are on that road. Well, the false prophet, the false teacher, what he wants is for you to take that wide road that leads to destruction. So we're gonna talk today about false prophets. We're gonna talk about what the Bible says about false prophets, but more importantly, we're gonna talk about how to discern who in fact the false teachers, the false prophets and antichrists, who they are. How do we know and how can we be kept safe? The bottom line is this, false prophets bring a message that is not from God. It is critical that we understand what the message from God truly is. And it's for this reason that we have what we call the word of God. It is a revelation from God. It is a a message inspired by God. We know it comes from the heart of God and it's through the word of God that we know God's will and purposes. I've been in the ministry for 40 years and I can tell you that over these 40 years, I have seen all manner of false teaching of false prophets, I have seen the fruit of their lives. And Jesus tells us today, the way that we know who the false prophets are is by the fruit that we see in their lives. So the question today then is this, are you on the wide road or are you on the narrow road? And and if you are on the narrow road, are you aware of who the false prophets are that may be trying to entice you to the wide road. Well, first of all, let's take a look at the word prophet. The word prophet comes from the Hebrew word nabi or nabi, and it means to bubble forth like a fountain or to utter or to speak or to pour forth an announcement. The term is meant to imply that the person is receiving an announcement directly from God and that word or vision then bubbles forth, bubbles forth, for others to receive as well. Prophecy, when it's from the, from, the, from the heart and the mind of God, it absolutely must agree with the scripture. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul gives the Corinthians instructions about those who prophesy. A prophecy must be judged by other prophets. In other words, the the the, the person who says they're speaking a word of prophecy, it, it must line up with scripture. It cannot contradict the scripture in any way or in, it is in fact a false prophecy. So here's what Peter says to help us understand better what prophecy is. He says, for, 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we recognize that the word of God is, 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 is actual prophecy and that God inspired men to write down his word as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, something that a lot of people don't understand is that God has, has got very harsh things to say about false prophets. We read in Deuteronomy 18.20, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. God lumps the false prophets in with those who practice occultic arts and witchcraft and other means of sorcery. It's a very serious thing to be a false prophet, to presume to speak on behalf of God and in fact not be speaking the will of God at all. Now, we live in a day and an age where there's been a, a reemergence or a sort of a revival of, of the prophetic. In fact, you can go to Kansas City and you can go to, to uh, a prophecy school and you can learn how to prophesy. And uh, I, I heard one pastor say that, uh, that his track record was pretty good. He says he gets it right about 50% of the time. Can I tell you that if you're only getting it right 50% of the time, that's about the odds that any one of us would have if we too practice prophecy. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you, if you prophesy even once in a way that is contrary to God's will, then you are in fact a false prophet. It's critical that we understand that when it comes to prophecy, it must be in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit and it is never a presumption upon God and his will and purpose. So the question is this. Where does this false prophecy come from? Well, there's only one answer to that. Um, you might say uh, maybe one and a half answers to that. The half answer would be, well, people uh, meaning well, but being deluded. Um, that, that, I suppose, may happen. People who mean well, but or say things they ought not to say. But there's no excuse for that because the Bible's clear about prophecy and how it is to be handled in the church. What is behind Jim Jones and what he did in Jonestown, Guyana? What is, what is behind most of what is so-called prophecy that in fact is not biblical prophecy. Well, we have to point to none other than Satan himself. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. This is exactly what Satan would love to do. He would love to sow seeds of, of confusion. He would love to sow seeds of falsehood amongst, his, amongst God's people. Uh, Satan, we know how he works. Paul tells us we're not ignorant of his schemes. And we know that Satan wants to, to cause the church to fail. And the way that he does that is by sowing seeds of, of deception amongst, among God's people. This is why it's so critical that the pastor of the church is careful 
about what is preached in his church. It's, it's critical that a pastor knows the word of God and is wise to the fads and the lunacy of this world. And I'm gonna tell you, it is a madness. It is an insanity that grips churches. I have seen so many churches split over the years. I've seen uh, men and women uh, who were in ministry have to leave the ministry because of, of lies that have been said in the name of God. Satan, the name Satan actually means accuser or adversary. So understand that Satan is opposed to you and me as Christians. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason that Jesus has to give us this clear teaching, this clear instruction about false teachings, about false prophets, about antichrists. And by the way, Jesus says it repeatedly through the gospels, constantly warning about about antichrists and false teachers and false prophets. The devil comes from the Greek word diavolos, which means slanderer, Lucifer, means bringer of light. And Paul says in Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I have had conversations with people over the years where I've tried to persuade them and tried to help them to see that what they were believing and what they were following was not of God. And rather than receiving what I had to say, even after proving to them from scripture that what they were believing was wrong, they got angry at me. And some would, uh, would not speak to me anymore because I was pointing out to them that they were following a lie. Now remember, Satan masquerades. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And we think, oh, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful what we're hearing? But in fact, it's all a lie. Behind this false teaching, this false prophecy, is Satan himself. He wants to confuse us and he wants to cause division. And I can tell you that I have done a lot of research. I, have, I, I know the history of the church uh, probably better than most. It's, it's something that I'm studying constantly. And this is what we see over and over and over again. We see division and splits and reformations and, and protests and protestation because of false teaching, because of falsehood. In fact, that's really what happened with Martin Luther back uh, 500 years ago, over 500 years ago. He saw, he saw the, the falsehood that had crept into the Roman Catholic Church, and he stood up and said, this has got to stop. This is wrong. We can't carry on this way anymore because what is being taught, what is being preached is not scriptural, it's not of the word of God. No wonder the great reformers declared sola scriptura, only the scripture is our authority. We don't listen to humans, we only listen to God as he reveals his will in the word of God. Critical that you understand that. Now, the... The thing that we recognize is that, as Paul says in Galatians 1.8, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul is calling for the condemnation and the 
and, and a cursing upon those who preach a gospel other than what has been presented. One of the things I love to say is that here at Cross Church, what we try to do is we try to stick to, to hold to the historical doctrines of the church. When, as soon as you hear somebody say this, we've got something new, something new is, is, uh, is being presented, then you should run for your life. Because we have been given one scripture, and last time I checked, the scripture has never changed. Now, there, are, there have been some modern translations where it's been changed, but we know that that is not historical Christianity. It is a perversion of what has been handed down through the centuries. So, Paul says, even if an angel of heaven comes to you. Do you know how many times I've heard preachers say to me, or, or just uh, report in their preaching that uh, an angel came and, and shared with them? Well, think of uh, the Mormons and, and Joseph Smith, who had the angel Moroni come to him with these gold tablets. Paul says, if we or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a contrary gospel to what we preach to you, they are accursed. Now, it's important that you and I understand this because uh, I'm sure that you've had a Mormon knock on your door. You've had Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door. Maybe you've had people from other churches try to encourage you or entice you to come to their church to see what they're doing, to see how special and how different they are. Hey, the thing that marks Christians is that we are all following the same gospel and that and that we are all following the same spirit, and we all have the same Lord, the same baptism. The minute you hear somebody talk about something new, something different, that should automatically cause you to step back and say, whoa, wait just a minute. The problem with so many of us is that we are ignorant. We don't know the word of God. Jesus, in his kindness to us, he tells us how to discern who the false prophets are. He says to us, Matthew 7, 16 to 20, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And Jesus says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits is, includes their teaching, uh, their behavior, uh, the outcome of their lives. Jesus says, look at how they live, look at what they're teaching, look at the outcome of their ministry, and you will be able to see whether or not they are false teachers or not. Now, false prophets are attractive to us, mainly because, uh, as one of the writers of the epistle said, they, they scratch our itching ears. They, they tell us what we want to hear. False prophets are attractive because the fruit that they offer us is somehow attractive to us. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, For years now, uh, I would say probably all the years that I've been in ministry and before, there was what we called the prosperity gospel. It was also called the name it and claim it group. uh, This gospel, this new gospel, said that you could have God and money. In fact, it was teaching you that God wants you to be rich. One of those teachers, I'm going to name him by name, 
is Kenneth Copeland. He's on every morning, the believer's voice of victory or something like that. And sometimes what he says is actually biblical, but too often it's things that are not biblical. Kenneth Copeland is one of those people who believes that God wants all Christians to be rich. And somehow he's able to distort and twist scripture ever so slightly. He takes scriptures out of context. He really relies on the Old Testament. And he says, see, God wants us to be rich. So he reports that, well, in one of his sermons I heard, he, uh, uh, and this is, I don't listen to him. I only go to investigate and research. And I do that for the sake of my own congregation because we actually had somebody in our congregation who was an elder actually some years ago that really felt that Kenneth Copeland was wonderful. And so I had to very patiently show this this board member that in fact Kenneth Copeland's life and ministry and the fruit of his ministry was not consistent with the teaching of the word of God. Kenneth Copeland He says his net worth is $760 million. In fact, he said in one of his sermons that he is a billionaire. That is a very strange, a very strange thing for me indeed. When Jesus himself said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. We who who are supposed to be preachers and representatives preaching the word of God, having $760 million where the son of man has no place to lay his head, there's something very wrong with this picture. And so folks, you and I need to understand that when somebody is giving us exactly what we're looking for, that's probably the first indication that it's a big mistake and you're on the wrong track. Another thing that the false prophet will try to offer you is power and the supernatural. Everybody wants that. That's why there have been mediums, there have been uh, fortune tellers, there have been tarot card readers and horoscopes. Uh, there have been people who have who've been involved in, in the occult because everybody longs for that which is supernatural. They long for this power. This is why people do seances and play with the Ouija boards. By the way, if you're involved in any of that, I, I, I just ask you in the name of Jesus to flee from this. You're, you're really playing with the fire of hell. But the supernatural is attractive and these false prophets will offer that. One ministry, which I'm not gonna mention by name, you can look it up yourself, they teach their students in their school of ministry to, to find the graves of famous preachers and faith healers, and they tell you to lay, lay down, lie down on that grave and, and somehow suck the, the spirit or the anointing out of the grave from that person who died. They call it grave sucking. And I'm gonna tell you, you would think, well, this is really one of those those far, far out um, uh, crazy ministries that would be very marginalized. But in fact, this is a, a very popular ministry right now. I'll tell you, it's in California. The false prophet wants to give you money. He wants to power, uh, promise you power and the supernatural. He wants to 
uh, promise you security. This is why a thousand people would sell everything and follow Jim Jones down to South America and establish a new town called Jonestown. They're looking for security. They were unstable people, weak people, people who had struggles in life, struggles with the law, struggles in their marriage, their family, with addictions. And they thought, well, Jim Jones will be the one that can help us. And Jim Jones made that promise. And of course, you know what happened to, to almost, well, to every one of them. They all died in a mass suicide. The false prophet will promise you superiority. He'll provide for you a school of prophecy and a school of, of healing so that you can do miracles yourself and you can be superior to other Christians. Now, they never say that, but that's actually what's happening. It appeals to our flesh. Our flesh is so self-centered, so full of pride, so lustful, that these prophets, these false prophets, know exactly how to get into our heads and to get into our hearts. They appeal to what we long for. Of course, a false prophet will give you the assurance of heaven. Everybody wants to know for sure that you're going to heaven. And this is what Martin Luther rose up against 500 years ago. The Roman Catholic Church, they wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica. The only way they could afford to do that is by sending out uh, these, these salesmen of indulgences. And in, if you bought an indulgence, it would get your loved ones out of purgatory, would lessen their suffering in hell and get them into heaven earlier. And this is what Martin Luther rose up against. I believe this was the, the very thing that triggered his, his 95 theses. A false prophet will tell us exactly what we want to hear. Some of you know that, that the evangelicals really got behind uh, Donald Trump in the last election. And all those who professed to be prophets were all prophesying that Donald Trump would get a second term in the White House. And one of those men was Jeremiah Johnson. I just got notice this past week that Jeremiah Johnson Ministries was closed down because he was one of those false prophets who prophesied that Donald Trump would have a second term in the White House. He just closed his ministry and he left the ministry, which I think was the right thing to do. Look, at the end of the day, we can... We could say it's all the fault of the false prophets, but we who are followers are supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ. We ought to know better because Jesus himself has given us the instruction. He has told us to be careful, to be aware of, to be cautious of the false prophets who want to get us onto that wide road that leads to hell. At the, when you stand before Jesus someday, you can't blame the false prophet. You have to look into your own heart and see whether or not you were faithful to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Do you see the importance of this Sermon on the Mount? It teaches us how to live and how to respond and how to react and how to live in this crazy world that is under the influence and the power of Satan. Now, it sounds ridiculous talking like this, 
It sounds ridiculous in my ears thinking about, about people who don't know God, listening to what I'm saying right now. It sounds ridiculous. And yet, folks, this is exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to, to believe that it's not a big deal. Everything's going to be fine. If you believe the wrong thing once in a while, what's the big deal? And I'm telling you, it's a big deal. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of the narrow road that leads to heaven and the wide road that leads to hell. That's how much it matters. And so I asked you this question this morning, are you on the wide road or the narrow road? Are you listening to the false prophets that are telling you exactly what you want to hear and giving you exactly what you want? Or are you focused on Christ and what he wants? The way to recognize good fruit is to know the scriptures. When Paul preached in Greece, here's what he discovered. He says in, uh, he says it, that in Thessalonians, or in Acts, pardon me. He says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. By the way, uh, Gloria and I were in Thessalonica for, uh, for three and a half years. Our son Jesse was born there, and we've been to the small town of Berea. Thessalonica is a big, sprawling city of over a million people. Berea is just a small town. And Paul says that the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And why did he say this? Well, he says, because the Bereans received the message with great eagerness, watch, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So the way that you are going to be kept safe from false prophets is you have to know the fruit. And the way that you're gonna know whether they're producing good fruit or bad fruit is you have to know the scripture. I just read uh, an interesting report on the frequency of Bible reading among adults in 2020. A full 34% said they never read the Bible. 11% said one to two times a year they would read the Bible. 9% said they read it one time a week. 9% said one time a month. And look at this, only 15% said they read the Bible every day. Look it, if you are gonna be kept safe from false teaching and from false prophets, you are gonna have to be in the habit of having a daily walk with God where you are praying every day and reading your Bible every day to hear the voice of God. It's critical that you use your Bible, that you know your Bible, that you're reading your Bible. Because I can tell you, even if you're not a theologian, when you hear a false prophet prophesy or do his teaching, something inside of you will say, I don't know exactly what's going on. I don't know why I don't like this guy, but something is not clicking. Something's not measuring up. Well, what is that? Well, the Holy Spirit is bringing to your memory truth that you have read and studied so that you are protected and kept safe against false teaching. 
The second thing that you need to know is you need to know the gospel. You need to understand the gospel. I, I cannot believe what I'm seeing happening as I come to the, to the end of my ministerial life. We are, we are living now in a day and an age where the gospel is no longer being proclaimed. What's happening in so many pulpits and so many churches is that rather than a gospel being proclaimed, it's a psychology lesson on how you can be a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better friend, a better employee, a better boss. And, and verses from Proverbs and from Psalms and different places in the epistles are cherry-picked and, and then applied so that we can give this great psychology lesson or philosophy lesson using proof texts. I can tell you folks that unless you and I understand and know the gospel, we are in grave danger of losing our faith and our Christianity altogether. This church, Cross Church, is devoted, committed to preaching the cross. That's why we're called Cross Church. And it's it's because of the cross, we have the gospel. The gospel, in case you don't know, is just a fancy way of saying the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me just bring it by you one more time, in case you haven't understood it yet. Here's what the gospel is. The gospel begins with the simple fact that you and I are sinners separated from God because of sin. We inherited from our forefathers, Adam and Eve, the, the sin nature. In Romans 1.18, it says, we are all under the wrath of God. All are subject to punishment, to judgment. Before we can talk about good news, we have to first understand what the bad news is. And the bad news is that we, until we are converted or born again, we are subject to punishment, to eternal uh, damnation. Pastor, are you really talking about hell in the year 2021? Yeah, because that is what the Bible teaches. Remember, before we talk about the good news, we talk about the bad news. The bad news is that none of us is able to be good enough. We read that in Romans 3.20. None of us is able, by keeping the law, able to do good or to please God because we fail and we fail and we fail. There's none righteous, no, not even one. If you're sitting here this morning and listening to this thinking, well, I'm better than average, well, the fact is, is that you're not better than average. You're the same as everybody else. You are, in fact, average. You are a sinner in need of God's grace. That's the bad news. And the root of all of our problems in our marriage and our families at work with our friends is, in fact, sin. Remember, when Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as you love yourself. The fact is, is we don't love God with our whole being, and we don't love others. We love ourselves. We put ourselves first. And so the scripture tells us what the bad news is about us. That's the bad news. Now, here's the good news. Even though we're under the wrath of God, God loves us. 
And this is something that you need to understand because so many people don't, they have a very immature understanding of who God is. God is the judge, but he's also a God of love, a God of justice, a God of love, a God who has to deal with sin, but a God who wants to show us his love. And how does he do that? Well, we learn the verse. We quote it all the time. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That, my friends, is the good news. The bad news is that we are dying in our sin. The good news is that Jesus has been sent by the Father to bring us life. So folks, here's the thing. If you understand that and you want what Jesus has to offer you, if you want that eternal life that Jesus has come, then what you've got to do is you have got to now own your own sin. What do I mean by that? Well, you just need to confess. You need to confess that you are a sinner and that you need to repent. You need to turn from your evil ways. Hey, we're living in a generation now that is constantly looking for victims. Uh, or for, we, we believe that we are victims and we've got to blame everybody else for the, for the strife and the problems that we are facing. Now, it's true. All of us have experienced some form of transgression one way or another from other people. But God is saying, look, it's stop looking at the faults of others. Stop looking at what others have done to you and think about yourself and the state of your own heart. You need to confess that you are a sinner and you need to repent of your sin. Now, at this point, this is where a lot of people say, I don't want to believe this. I choose to go the other way. I choose the wide road. If you're going to choose the narrow road, and I'm going to just tell you plainly that it's not always easy In fact, it's very difficult. Jesus said that it's a hard road and only if you find this road. But if you're gonna take this road, then you need to come face to face with your own sinfulness and your own need of confession. You need to repent. This is the gospel. Then the next step is to put your faith in Christ and not in self. That's what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's faith, a God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Did you see that? We have, we have peace with God because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in his righteousness, not on our own. Some people think, yeah, I'm going to heaven because I'm, you know, compared to everybody else, I'm a very good person. Can I tell you that when you stand before God someday, that's not gonna be the one you're compared to. You'll be compared to Jesus Christ, who really was perfect. And it's Jesus, it's his righteousness that you and I must have if we are to enter into eternal life, if we are to go through that narrow gate. And so you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And folks, this is what justifies us. I'm gonna tell you, the key teaching of the Christian church is what we would call justification by faith. Or another way to put it is being made right with God through faith. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, in his righteousness, when you and I put our faith in the one who died on the cross for our sins, the Bible says that is what makes us righteous. 
that we have taken on Christ's righteousness. In other words, what you're really doing is you are saying, my righteousness, I confess my righteousness is nowhere near good enough, but Jesus' righteousness is is perfect, and I'm going to put on that righteousness. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, you must Put your faith in Jesus Christ because this is the only way that you will enter into eternal life. You say, Pastor Allen, what about good works? Well, that's a good point. But let me say this to you. The beginning of the Christian life begins with faith in Christ. The evidence, the proof, the fruit that you have... uh, that, that tells you that you put your faith in Jesus is in fact good works. That's the evidence, that's the proof, that's the fruit. When you start doing good works and start living the way Jesus has called you to live according to the Sermon on the Mount, that's the evidence that you put your faith in Jesus and not in yourself or in your own righteousness. Justification by faith, being made right with God by putting our faith in Christ is what Christianity is all about. And if you don't get that, you'll never understand Christianity. You'll constantly be failing. You'll constantly be discouraged. You'll constantly be trying to be good enough. And you'll constantly be coming before God and saying, God, I just can't do it. And of course you can't do it. The Bible declares you can't be righteous. You don't have what it takes. But when you put your faith in Christ and his spirit comes and dwells within you richly, he enables you to live this life that he's called you to live. So you need to know the scripture, you need to know the gospel, that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. The third thing you have to understand is that you need to know Jesus. This is what the apostle Paul says. He said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a son of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Pharisee, teacher of the law. He, he is, he is the, the perfect Jew. And yet he says, I count that all dung. I count that all as as refuse, as garbage compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is what I want. I want to know Jesus. My friends, if this is what you want, if knowing Jesus is your first number one top priority, then you will have Jesus you will know the way, the truth, and the life. Buddha, just before he died, said, I'm still searching for truth. But Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, folks, listen, if you, if you know the scripture and if you know the gospel, that you are made right with God by faith in Jesus alone, if you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, then I can guarantee you will be safe from the false prophets, those who dress like sheep, but underneath are in fact ravenous wolves. You'll be kept safe. You know what? Christians spend too much time listening to podcasts, YouTube preachers, and TV ministries rather than reading and searching the scriptures themselves. You you have to know Jesus. And the only way you're gonna know Jesus is by studying the scripture and by understanding the gospel. And when you know that, 
it changes everything. I, let me just close with this. Uh, two preachers, one who is a very popular, very popular author. I'm actually going to mention him by name because it's, 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 it's well known. His name is Max Locato. Some of you may know him. Uh, Max has written all, ki- all, all kinds of books. Uh, I'm sure he's a millionaire because of it. But he was invited to speak in, in Washington at one of the, one of the churches there. And he had, he had some opposition. There was a group of people who rose up and were protesting that he was preaching in this church. And the reason they were protesting him is because in 2004, they had, they'd, Max Lucado preached a sermon, and they'd found that sermon where he was giving the biblical view of Christian, uh, the Christian view of human sexuality, one man and one woman can, makes a marriage. Max Lucado, rather than, than doubling down, and defending his position from Scripture, he wrote a letter of, an, of apology, apologizing for, for God, apologizing for the truth and the Scripture. Folks, when you start apologizing for God, you're one step away from being a false prophet. Another pastor interviewed by Larry King Larry King knows what questions to ask. And he asked this pastor, what about the people of India? Will they go to heaven or to hell? And what about the Jews? What will happen to them? And this pastor simply said, I don't know. How can you call yourself a preacher of the word of God and not know the answer to that question? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the truth. And folks, you need to understand that when it comes to the truth, you cannot compromise. You cannot tweak it and change the word of God to make it, make it palatable to people who are not Christians. The, the word of God is a confrontation. The word of God confronts people in their sin. God sets for us a standard of holiness, of righteousness, and we conform to his will. We don't make God conform to our will. And that's what a false prophet does. The false prophet takes the word of God and twists it and changes it and makes it palatable for the masses. But remember, it's the masses that are on the wide road that lead to destruction. But the narrow road Only a few find it, and it's a hard road, but that's the road that leads to eternity. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us the grace to be people of the scripture, that we would double down in our commitment to reading the word of God and to knowing it. Help us, God, we pray. Open our minds to understand the true gospel, which is being made right with God through faith in Christ. And help us, we pray, to get to know Jesus. May he indeed be our Lord, our master, our king, our friend. May he be the one that we follow. For he is King Jesus. He is the king of this kingdom. And it's his constitution that we follow. We do not follow the constitutions of this world. So give us grace, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.